Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we begin our new Sunday morning series entitled The Old Corn of Canaan. In this series, we will learn to leave the survival mentality of the wilderness and become stable in the land of promise. Stability brings success, and success brings significance. With part one of the series, here's Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. We're going, to, we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about in this uh, in this next three weeks. We're going to talk about. You know, the Lord has been giving us some massive miracles, and I believe I believe that the sovereignty of God is something many times that is underrated. We think we can manipulate God, but when God gets ready to move. You need to get under his cloud and under his fire because we did that and uh, the miracles are continuing into the month of August. Little baby Costa, blue-coated. He was code blue and looked like he was going to die when he was born and God spared him. He has jaundice and they thought they were going to have to give him a blood transfusion and God healed him. Two miracles on one little baby. I'm telling you, God is just, God is in love with people that have faith in Him. He really is. And I want to, I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you today. We're going to, we're going to speak on what I call old corn of Canaan the next three weeks. We're going to talk about that. And, uh, and we're going to, we're going to speak on it. Now, there's four things there's four things. I'm going to speak today on the cost of permanence. That's my, that's my thought today. But there's four things that I want to bring you to in this three-week session. I want to bring you from survival. There's a lot of people who live on survival miracles. I want to bring you from survival to a word called stability. I want you to get stable in God. Not get bored in God, but stable in God. Understanding that whatever happens... The world's going to be shaken, but we're not going to be shaken. And then I want you to move from stability to what I call success. I want you to be successful in God. I want God to start blessing you because you have blessed Him. And then the fourth thing that we want to lead you to is a word called significance. Everybody say significance. I want to take you to significance. I want your life to count. I want when you face God one day, He's going to say, you know what, you did good with what I gave you in life. And so I want us to move those four steps. Everybody, survival, say survival. Survival. Say stability. Stability. Say success. Success. And say significance. Significance. That's where we're headed. Joshua chapter 5 said, And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. I'm going to talk about the cost of a permanent heaven is an impermanent world. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 16 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive, for an inheritance obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went, but by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Though through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang 
there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. They didn't receive the promises we've received because we're living on the other side of the cross. For they, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Now watch this, verse 15. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from where they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly. Where God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he's prepared for them a city. I want to talk to you about the cost of permanence today. History records the life of a man named Hernan Cortez. Old story. This is old corn stuff. A Spanish conquistador who was born in 1485. And at the age of 19, he sailed for Hispaniola with a man named Diego Velasquez. He conquered Cuba. And he settled there until 1518. And when Valenzuela appointed him to lead an expedition to Mexico, he took a force of 700 men. And when he was on his way to Mexico in the ship, he knew that this could be the most dangerous mission that he had ever undertaken. He didn't know exactly what they would find. It was the uncertainty that was probably the most nerve-wracking to Cortez. Would they find the Inca Indians there to be a fierce people, ready to defend to the death? Or would they find wild animals to tear them limb from limb? Or would starvation threaten these mighty warriors? Cortez knew that once he set out to conquer this new land, there would be many obstacles to overcome. But the reward would be great in his life. He knew that. And he knew there'd be many opportunities to turn around and go back to the land of Cuba, to the safe place where they had already conquered, to the comfort zone that we call it. And Cortez knew that if given the opportunity, many of his men would be tempted to turn around when the battle heated up. So after each of the 700 warriors walked off the ships and made it to shore, Cortez did something unique. He burned the ships in the harbor. He literally set fire to every ship and burned it into the water. So he committed the entire force to survival through conquest and conquest only. Hernan Cortez secured his place in history as a man who conquered simply because he removed all opportunity to turn around and to go back. He made up his mind. The biggest enemy of hell is a child of God with a made-up mind. He said, I'll either conquer this land or I'll die trying. But I refuse to turn around and go back. We sat here today on the third Sunday of the month of August. And many of us, perhaps still after Miracle Month, are in the fight of our life. We've landed on this shore. We've landed on this promised land. This land that God has given us in promise. 
And instead of being able to lie down on a hammock and enjoy our inheritance, we're having to pick up our sword and fight an enemy that doesn't want to surrender his territory. I've heard it so many times in the last few weeks. Pastor, I have prayed. I have prayed. And instead of things getting easier in my life, things seem to get getting a little harder in my life. I have claimed for God my husband. I've claimed my wife, Pastor. I've claimed my sister, my brother, my friend for Jesus. And it seems they're getting meaner and meaner instead of kinder and kinder. I prayed for greater anointing. I have prayed for a greater touch of God and it seems that I am less anointed now than ever before and my prayers don't seem to be getting through. I've claimed my healing and instead of being healed, I feel like that I'm going the other direction, hurt more, feeling more pain. I wrote in all red letters in my notes, good. That's good. The darkest night is just before the dawn. Jesus didn't walk on the water the first watch, nor the second watch, nor the third watch, but he came walking on the fourth watch. The darkest time is just before the dawn, and I'm telling you that the battle rages the hottest now, just before victory. The church is set like it has never been set against the world in this hour. But I believe with everything that's in me, and you listen to this pastor, it's going to prove true in the next few months. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I am not a fatalist preacher. I'm not a negative preacher. I'm a positive man. But somewhere in your life, it happened to Elijah, Elisha, pardon me, when Elijah touched him with his mantle. You know what he did? He burned his plow and slew his oxen and said, I'm not going back. Sometime in your life, you're gonna have to burn the plow and burn the ships. You're gonna have to kill the oxen and say, no more of that kind of living. No more of that kind of living. I'm I'm not ready to live this life anymore. I'm ready to live the committed life to Jesus Christ. I'm ready to commit everything I have to him. All my ways, all my family, all my thinking, all my doing are going to be in him for the rest of my days. Can you clap your hands to that this morning? I believe that. The enemy fights hard. It's because he knows you're closer to victory than you've ever been. I sense in my spirit that someone is asking, well, pastor, is it really worth it? Maybe I should just quit this daydreaming about promotion, daydreaming about jobs, and daydreaming about our family getting better and go back to a life of ease and complacency. When you need, what you need today is to burn your ships and remove all opportunity of going back to your comfort zone. I've always believed this, and I'm going to preach it again today. The way with victory is just to hang in there, you just don't quit. I have quoted Ecclesiastes 3 so many times. There's 28 times there. But there's one thing that's not mentioned in Ecclesiastes 3 is a time to quit. You just can't quit in life. I know that we are going into some times and we don't understand some things that's happening in our world. We don't understand some things that's taking place in America now, not just overseas. But I'm telling you that if we just keep moving forward, 
if we just keep moving forward, if we keep advancing. I know things seem like many times are falling apart and that you're going to die in battle, but I promise you, you're getting ready to propel yourself into a realm of the Spirit like you've never experienced before because I know this, that Jesus Christ did not found a church that was strong in the beginning and going to be weak in the ending. He found a church that's going to be greater in the last days than it ever was in the beginning time. I believe that. Chuck Yeager was the first man to ever break the sound barrier in an aircraft. On October the 14th, 1947, he set out with an army, an army plane called the Bell X-1. A civilian pilot named Slick Goodland had put the plane to .7 Mach. Mach speed is 760 miles an hour at sea level. But when you get higher, it's only 660 miles per hour at 40,000 feet. And Chuck Yeager stepped into that Bell X-1. It was built like a bullet. And he pushed the plane up to .8 Mach, .85 Mach. Point nine mock. And when he got there, he backed off because the plane began to shake uncontrollably. It was as if the plane was going to come apart in midair. And as he approached Mach 1, the plane began to shake and rattle on October the 14th again, 1947. But this day, he said, I've been to 8, I've been to 8, 5, I've been to 9 today, today. I'm going to push it past mock speed. We're going to break the sound barrier today. And as he began to push that plane, it began to shake and rattle, and it buffeted from side to side. So much so that he said, well, it might happen today. But then he, he said to himself, he said, I refuse to turn back now. If I die, I'm going to die trying, but I'm not going to back down. I've been close before, but no matter what happens today, I'm going for it. And with that, he shoved the controls forward and headed for the sonic wall. And in the book, The Right Stuff, the author records, the X-1 went through the sonic wall without so much as a bump. As the speed topped out at Mach 1.05, and Jaeger had this sensation of shooting straight through the top of the sky. He said the sky turned to deep purple and all at once the stars and the moon came out and the sun shone at the same time. He was having some real, real moments. He was simply looking in space. He was master of the sky. He was in a king's solitude, unique and inviolate, above the dome of the world. Chuck Yeager achieved a level no one had ever reached because he simply refused to turn around and go back and land the plane. Hallelujah. So I'm preaching today. I'm telling someone you may, you may feel a little shaken in your life and rattled and tossed, but don't turn around now. You're on the verge of a new experience with God. That'll bring you higher than you've ever been before. You know, when I shake hands at the front door, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm not, I'm not really a, I'm more of a practical pastor than a spiritual pastor. But I know when I shake hands with discouragement. And I know when I shake hands with pain. I really do. And I know when I shake hands with victory people. 
And I know when I shake hands with people that are just struggling with life. And I shook hands with some folks today that I'm preaching to you right now. It's a very simple message that I'm preaching. But there's one thing you have to do if you're going to get what God has for you. You've got to get out of the survival mentality and come into stability in your life. You've got to move out of stability and get a hold of success in your life. And you've got to move from success to significance. You cannot stay in the position that you are after God has done so much for this church this year. You've got to keep moving forward. It may be baby steps. It may be just small steps, but you've got to keep moving. Because God is not here for you to put your hand to the plow and look back and not be fit for the kingdom of God. If this thing is worth anything, it's worth everything. And if Jesus died for our sins, we might ought to want to live for him all the days of our life. Come on, somebody step up, step forward and say, I will not go back. We sang the song. Sit down a minute. We sang the song, not going back. We sang it. Ooh, we love it. But when somebody preaches it, oh, I've heard that before. Well, why don't you quit singing the song then? I'm preaching to you today. It's time that we start eating old corn. It's time to quit rolling out of bed and saying, I wonder who's going to help me today. I'm going to get some old corn. I, I don't have to have manna anymore. I don't need water from a rock anymore. I have a God in my life. I have found stability in my walk. I have found success in my walk. I have found significance in my God and in my walk. And I'm not going back. I'm not going to turn around. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. I'm moving forward. I'm going on. And God's going to give me the victory in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 said, we're troubled. Everybody say, we're troubled. troubled. Now say it real loud. Yet not distressed. distressed. Say, we're perplexed. perplexed. Say it loud, but not in despair. despair. We're persecuted. persecuted. But not forsaken. forsaken. We're cast down. But not destroyed. I'm tired of all this shaking. I'm tired of all this feeling like my life's coming apart, Pastor. Shove the throttle forward. Break the barrier. Get through that place. Get through it. I'll never forget when it happened in my world. I was a young pastor in Dallas, Texas. This happened in my world. I was a man that preached fairly well. But I didn't have the confidence to understand that I preached fairly well. And one Sunday morning in a little church in Dallas, Texas, a woman came in. I've told this story. This is old corn. This is old corn. But I told this story. A woman came in with a baby who was hydrocephalic. The baby had water on the brain. And I had, I had seen miracles. I had witnessed miracles. I had seen signs, I had witnessed signs, but I'd never been on the end of saying, I've said that prayer. And once you say that prayer, it's not important about who says the prayer anymore. It's about who does the deed. 
But this woman put me in a box. She put me in a corner. She brought that baby down. She said, the Lord said, if I brought my baby to church today and got it prayed for, that it would be healed. Oh, God. I said, what's wrong? said, well, it's, it's, it's hydrocephalic and said, it's not going to live long. It's got water on the brain. We've got a real issue. It probably will be semi-retarded. It probably won't have its full competency of the body. And so I, I gathered some men around, and two or three men, and I started praying. And I said, God, I've never done anything quite like this before. Never been put on a spot. I've always just been the evangelist and pastors would always take the heat if something didn't happen. I was moving on. But now, God, I'm pastoring a church and I need some help here. And I laid hands on that little baby and we prayed and nothing miraculous happened. Wasn't anything happened. But you know what I did that day? I went back to my office and I, I knelt down and I said, God, if you never heal another person, in my ministry, I'm going to keep preaching that you're the healer. If you never touch another person with deliverance, I'm going to keep preaching you're a deliverer. I said, I may be your Jeremiah and never see a convert, but God, I'm going to keep preaching this gospel because I know you change lives. I know you change lives. I told that little mother to take that baby to the doctor the next morning, and she did. And the doctor said, what are you doing here, Linda? And she said, I'm here simply because my pastor told me to bring this baby in and said, he wants you to check it again. And here I am, I'm knowing what time it was. I wake up the next morning, I'm saying, oh God, oh God. I'm looking at the clock. I'm thinking she'll surely call. She never calls. She got so happy she forgot to call me. They run two hours worth of test on that baby. And finally the doctor said, have you taken this baby to another physician? She said, yes. You know, I'm kind of tired of that business. I'm kind of tired of that business. And we got some physicians in this church that are on the other side. They're on the Christ side. But I'm kind of tired of that business of three out of four physicians say, I want to know what that fourth physician says. I want to know what the fourth physician says. You know, three out of four said you're dying of cancer. What'd that fourth one say? Three out of four said you're certifiable crazy. What'd that fourth one say? Three out of four says your family's going to fall apart. What'd that fourth one say? Amen. And that morning I found the fourth one to be a God that was there for me. The heavenly physician of heaven. And the doctor brought her in and said, honey, I don't understand this. She said, she said, sir, I just took it to the church and we prayed. And he said, oh, you took it to Jesus. I'm about to lose myself right here, right now. It's coming back on me. I feel it like I felt it on that Monday. When I finally got the news that afternoon, she looked at one of those doctors. There was three of them. She looked at one of them. She said, would you hold my baby? He said, sure, why? She said, because I'm going to praise the Lord right here in this doctor's office. And that day, that day, I went back to the shore where I came in on my ship. And I said, I'm going to strike fire to your ship. I'm burning you down. 
I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe in him. I'm going to have confidence in him until the day I die. I've burned them. Many times we act on what we feel instead of what we know. Let me talk real quick. I got news for you today. You're not always going to feel like living for God or going to church or praising the Lord or singing in the sanctuary. Sometime you're going to feel like picking up the bottle again and taking up the drug thing again and throwing your hands up in frustration with family again and giving up in the heat of battle. And returning to the weak and barely elements of the world. But we must learn to live for God because what we know, not what we feel. Can you imagine what old Job felt like in that pile of ashes? When his wife came to him and said, Job, how you feeling today, honey? How you feeling? Well, not real good. Well, honey, this is the third week you've been in that pot of ashes. Don't you think you ought to get out of there and try a bath? He said, honey, I can't take water on these boils. It's hurting so bad. Well, Job, you know your kids are all gone, your oxen are gone, your sheep are gone, your cattle are gone. You know everything's gone. Yeah, I know that. Well, honey, why don't you just curse God and die? Because you've asked the wrong question, Mama. You asked me how I felt. You didn't ask me what I know. And there is a difference. And how I feel. And what I know. And he looked at her and he said, Honey, I know my Redeemer liveth. And I know that even though these skin worms destroy my body, yet one day in my flesh I'm going to see God. I'm going to see him for myself and not for another. And honey, listen, though he slays me, Though I die right here in this ash heap, I'm going to trust him because it's not what I feel. It's what I know. Anybody know him? Anybody know him? Anybody know him? Anybody know him? Hang on just a minute. Preach, son. Preach. I'm just about to get into a a row. I'm about to get in a groove here. We don't always feel like going to work. But we know if we don't, bills don't get paid. We lose our homes, our cars, etc. If we only stayed married to the spouse on those days that you feel like being married to her. We had been divorce court one day and the judge of the peace next day getting remarried. We don't always feel like being married to that person, but deep down inside we love them and we know that we couldn't live without them. So we wait for the argument heat to cease because we know the feelings of anger, the feelings of hurt will pass and love will return. You know that's true. We live our lives on the natural based on not what we feel but what we know. Why shouldn't we live our lives that way in the spiritual? Why don't we live our lives on what we know? And not how we feel today. 
Did anybody walk in the church today feeling like you could have just stayed in bed? Raise your hand and be honest. Thank you. Put your hands down. You're the greatest people in the world because you're honest. I give you a hand. Amen. I hit the alarm snooze twice today. I really did. Because I said, Lord, I've got a hard job today. I've got a tough job today because I'm going to be talking about some old corn, but I'm going to be talking about simplicity of the gospel today. We need to understand it's not how we feel that matters. It's what we know that matters. And the second thing that I want to talk about today is that sometimes we give up way too soon. We're right on the verge of a miracle. And we turn around and go back. I found a sad passage in the Bible I want to share with you. How many of you love Joshua? Come on, raise your hand, Joshua. Come on. How many of you love Caleb? Don't you know they were bad men? You believe that? They were bad boys. Bad boys, bad boys. They were the cops of the wilderness generation. They kept faith high and fear down. And Caleb was a man that when he was 40 years old, about 45, got to visit the land of promise and he spotted a mountain and he claimed it for 40 years. He said, I want that mountain. That's the mountain that I want. Now here was the way it happens. When they got into the land of promise, they divided up the land according to tribes and according to families in those tribes. And so Caleb wanted his mountain. He wanted that mountain. He said, I want it. And they gave Caleb the mountain that he wanted. And his daughter said, I want the upper and the lower springs of that mountain because that's my daddy and I get the water from it. And so they got that. But there's a sad passage here. Joshua chapter 24, 29 and 30 said, It came to pass after those things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him, watch this, in the border of his inheritance. In the border. And they named this place Timnath Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. They buried him in the border of his inheritance. I want to close today and preach to you that it's no sense in you living in the border of your inheritance. If you're going to claim your inheritance, get right in the big middle of it. Get to the very middle and say, every point from here out is my land. Don't get on the edge and say, God's promised me this and maybe someday I'll explore it. Get right in the big middle of it and turn you a happy circle and say, God's given me all of this. And I'm going to walk with him. God is wanting to take this church to another level. He's wanting survivors to become stable and stable people to become successful and successful people to become significant. That's what God's wanting. Does anybody want to step forward and say, I'm not going to live on the border any longer? There's an old term in England called March, M-A-R-C-H. It means a territorial entity in broad terms. In medieval Europe, the term for any kind of borderland as opposed, that is, to a notional heartland. More specifically, Old English say a march 
or a territorial entity was a border between two realms or a neutral buffer zone under joint control of two states which are different, which different laws might apply. But I put my definition of a borderland. It's a land between two rival countries. Both are reaching for the loyalty of the populace that inhabit the in-between country. Borderland still exists in the world. And I'm closing, Randy, if you'll help me. Borderland still exists in the world. Texas used to be a borderland between Mexico and the U.S. until the U.S.-Mexican War in 1846 to 1848. California used to be a borderland. Arizona used to be a borderland. New Mexico used to be a borderland. And both Mexico and the U.S. were vying for the loyalty of the people that live between those two battling countries. I'd like to tell you that there's two countries, there's two worlds that are battling for your soul. One is the place of destruction. The other is the place of delight. One is a place of hell. The other is a place of heaven. And there's so many people that I preach to in my ministry and I'm preaching right now to you that you just can't seem to make up your mind. See, the problem with borderland living is that there's no law there. You do what you want to do. You be who you want to be. You say what you want to say because no law can reach you there. Outlaws could come and hide there and be away from the U.S. if the U.S. were seeking them or away from Mexico if the federales were seeking them. You understand what I'm saying. There's no laws. You just do what you want to do. You kick who you want to kick. You hate who you want to hate. You love who you want to love. You do what you want to do. But it's the most horrible living when it comes down to it because you're going to be defiled and you'll never know what true heartland living is all about. So I stand before you today and I say, you've got to choose. You've got to make a choice. The worst thing that could be said about anybody in a church is that the pastor brought the congregation to a land of promise and you were buried on the border of your inheritance. God. I just never, I never burned the ship. I never burned the plow. I never slayed the oxen. I never said goodbye. I never walked away from that old life. I wanted the world and God. I wanted both. So I lived in this land called Borderland. And I tried to hold on to two worlds. But somewhere in your life you've got to let go of the one that will never serve you in the long term and hang on to the one that will take you to a place of glorious bliss hallelujah 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 I visited Amish country I'm closing one more minute Several years ago up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They have cemeteries up there. They have cemeteries up there in the Amish country. And they have, they have, they have lines where the cemetery ends and where the cemetery starts. And many Amish men and women are buried with their head in and their feet out. 
or their head out and their feet in. And when you ask the Amish people, they will tell you that they couldn't be buried all the way in the Amish cemetery because they were too much heathen to be Christian. But they were too much Christian to be heathen. So they buried them half in and half out. I've never, I've never reached for people more seriously than I'm reaching for you today. Paul stood before Agrippa and he told him about salvation. And Agrippa the second, Agrippa the first looked at him and then he looked at himself. He was a superintendent of the temple of Jerusalem. He was governor. And Paul stood before him and his words rang out with authority and power and he said, Agrippa, I wish you would know this God that I serve. I wish you'd step into this realm. And Agrippa said in 26, 28, you almost persuade me to be a Christian, Paul. I'm almost. But in my mind, I can see him briefly looking back and realizing what he'd have to give up. His position, his family, his friends, his wealthy possibilities. And he decided it's just not worth it to me to have to give it all up to inherit salvation. And I can see him as he boarded his ship to sail back to life of comfort and ease. He cries out, almost, almost I inherited the greatest gift known to mankind. Almost I entered into peace like I've never known. Almost I was saved. But looking back, I found an opportunity to go back that was familiar. It was easy. It was less of a struggle. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Not just a Christian man, a Christian woman that need to step into their promise, but I'm preaching to people that have come to church for a long time and you have wanted to live in that land between two entities, borderland. You're reaching for one and reaching for the other, but you live under no law. You do what you want to do and say what you want to say and go where you want to go and you think it's the easiest life in the world, but it's really not. The greatest life you could ever live is a life of heartland, not borderland. Heartland for Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet all over the building. You're awesome people. You're awesome people. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.